listeners, welcome to Mentally Sounds Life in Lockdown podcast series. This is episode 60. I'm Ricky Thaman, I'm your host for the next hour. Mentally Sound is a mental health and mental well-being show. The idea is that myself and my guests talk candidly and at substance about anything and everything to do with mental health. On that basis, as a disclaimer, we do urge you to go and see your GP, crisis centre, therapist, if you find the following topics of our discussions distressing for you. A reminder that Mentally Sound is a podcast, formerly a radio show, that pre-existed the pandemic and lockdown, so we've adapted to podcast medium for the meantime during lockdown. If you listen to us on Spice FM, Newcastle's fantastic community radio station from the heart of the West End, you can tune in via 98.8 FM or online via the website at www.spicefm.co.uk and we're on air Tuesdays at 1 o'clock in the afternoon and repeated on Saturdays at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. If you'd like to get in touch, be it be signposted to a guest or seek advice from a therapist, you can email us at mentallysound at spicefm.co.uk and your anonymity and privacy will be respected, of course. And get in touch via social media as well, where we have links to our shows. On Twitter, we're at underscore mentallysound. On Instagram, we're at mentallysoundradio. And on Facebook, it's mentallysoundradio show. And incidentally, on our Facebook header page, you'll find updated archives of all our podcasts with all the relevant topics listed underneath. We're also on the relevant podcast platforms, so look up Mentally Sound on Clips, spelt C-L-Y-P, Pocket Cast, Google Podcast, Radio Public, Breaker and Apple Podcasts. So as I say, this is our 60th show, quite a landmark there, quite a milestone. Thank you for everyone for um, supporting us on our, on our journey thus far. And on this week's show, as it's the 60th, I thought I'd record a little compilation for you. So in this year of 2021, uh, I've selected a few of our best podcasts. I mean, they're all great. But uh, quite randomly, um, I thought I'd go over the archives and pick some of the relevant conversations. So you'll hear a variety of guests over the next hour. And kicking us off from episode 41 is uh, Dan and Dale from Take One, Leave One, which is an initiative, uh, the Newcastle branch, where they provide clothes, particularly back in winter during the uh, third lockdown, I think it was, um, where people who needed, uh, say, a coat to keep themselves warm in winter, and particularly the homeless, um, they can uh, take a, a coat, jacket, no questions asked, kindly provided, donated by the caring public, groups and companies. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this compilation show of our 60th Mentally Sound Life in Lockdown podcast series. Enjoy. Take what is it? Take one, leave one. Uh, Newcastle branch guy, yeah. is that right? Take one, leave one. Newcastle, that's the one. Yeah. So I was reading a little bit about this on uh, um, just recently because I understand it's a very recent project. Um, how, how long have you been running for? We had our first uh, day on the twenty fifth of January. Yeah. So 
yeah, not long at all, a couple of weeks. That probably explains why when when I found you guys on uh, social media on Instagram, I thought, oh wow, this these guys sound really interesting to talk to. So I imagine you're probably doing a lot of networking there, finding sort of um, you know nearby groups to sort of work with and that kind of thing. Yeah, it, it's been a it's been a slow but busy process getting off the ground. Um, and it, I guess it's something we didn't really expect or think about in the beginning. Yeah. Um, but yeah, finding the right groups, um, like the outreach people, um, just to spread the word and find the right sort of people that we can support. Yeah, it does take time, but we are we are getting there now. Sure. In terms of donations, though, the, the help forum was immediate. Mm-hmm. It's just then giving out the supplies that we have to those who are in need. That seems to be... Yeah. A bit of a, more of a task. It's a, it's a more of a, it's a more of a problem than we realised initially. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So, um, before we discuss more about what the project is about uh, in more detail, first of all, um, Dan, how 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 are you, and um, how's lockdown been for you on a on a personal level? It's good and bad. Yeah. Um, it's it's yeah. It's, you don't really discuss out loud, but yeah, I guess this one especially is taking its toll. Mm. Um, it's, it's, I don't know about you, but this lockdown seems to have just gone on forever and ever. So you're kind of uh, feeling the fatigue of it all and all that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. and I think I think on a selfish note, this project was kind of to distract me and my thoughts. Yeah, from sitting indoors watching exactly, the yeah. same shows on telly. So <laughs> uh, yeah, it's kind of helped as well, which is good. So uh, it's that rewarding aspect, I guess. When you when yeah, you know, in, yeah, I mean, when you others. see you see some of the people you help and support then you kind of feel like well why why do i feel mm. lonely or why do i feel fed up yeah. uh, when really i've got a roof over my head yeah. and a, a, a new coat on my back so mm. yeah it's a blessing deal how about yourself yeah very much the same way um, i've been trying to delve a lot more into just keep my mind busy occupying mm. myself with my time yeah. uh, whether it be through exercise which is obviously difficult in this this period yeah, of time exactly. on the weather and i think yeah. that's another reason why this second lockdown seems a lot longer mm. it's not as you can't go outside and do as much stuff exactly uh, exactly but again just in the same in the same vein as dan this has been a blessing mm-hmm. fortunately for myself i'm on furlough mm-hmm. and i've got time to spare mm-hmm. so i thought i believe we both felt the same way we were looking for ways to pursue helping others and push our energies towards other charities but again with all the, the covid restrictions and whatnot we will find it difficult that's kind of why we set this up in the first place yeah i mean yeah given from both of the answers there there's there's you know i can sort of cherry pick uh you know certain points that you made that i can relate to myself so um like yourself dan yes for me um the the, the mental health aspect the fatigue uh, but doing something like this a podcast is uh, is is a good distraction and and the rewarding aspect hopefully in, that we help others and you know doing the networking as we are with this and and as a self a deal I mean I'm a but I, I I run for 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 my mental health and and you just can't do it out there right at the moment so it's it's it is yeah it literally is um so yes um take one leave one I I was reading an article um. I think yesterday it was featured in the big issue. Uh, am I right in saying that it started out in London about a year a year or two ago, and it's gradually kind of outreached to different parts of the country? And then, and, and at what point did you guys grasp it and take it on, and, and and wanting to do something locally? Yeah, so it's it's a project that I've followed personally for I think since twenty nineteen. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, a campaigner called um, Simon, and he works for Amnesty International. All right. Um, so I followed him on Twitter, and I followed his projects on Twitter for a long time. Yeah. Um, and it's always been something that just seems so easy, mm-hmm. um, easy to do, and so beneficial. And then I guess this year with the pandemic, not being at work, again just sat around the house. Mm-hmm. There was a shout out, like the, in London especially, the, the rail started popping up yeah. in every other district or borough of London. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? Why? Why isn't this something we're doing? Why does it have to be in London only? Like so, yeah. I reached out, um, and I didn't re- didn't expect it to be so simple to get mm-hmm. up and running. Mm-hmm. Um, the guys down in London were so supportive, so they sent a banner our way, like a professional banner, yeah, uh, which really gets the message out on the side of the street. Mm-hmm. Um, set up your social media accounts and then yeah. just go for it you ask for donations and mm-hmm. like dale touched on earlier that the outpour is, is insane so it was quite simple to get up and running yeah um and yeah i could believe how easy it was since we, started, since we started the the rail up here in newcastle we've had a lot more especially in the northeast starting to pop up so there's a rail now with durham city center um, Sunderland City Centre. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had, yes, Sunderland are doing really well. There's a guy yeah. called Ian um, who reached out to us for some information. Within a week, he was up and running. Mm-hmm. Um, again, that's how simple it is to get going. Um, and there's actually two starting in Durham now. So two separate people in County Durham reached out. So they've got one in the, the centre in the, near the market and there'll be one at the Arneson Shopping Centre yeah. coming soon. Yeah. And then, yeah, like like we said, it's just taken off. So we've been uh, reached out by people from Middlesbrough, um, North Shields, South Shields. Um, so it is growing, mm. which is great to see, like the, the generosity of some people. Excellent. Um, really uh, and Dale, do you want to explain a bit more to listeners regarding the ethos and how it works? Basically, um, we're looking at we're looking at the, the 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 problematic issue of homelessness, and of course, it's it's an issue exacerbated in. Um, of course, in lockdown, but of course in the winter as well, and it makes more people more vulnerable. But the ethos being that, what well, people can donate uh, a, a cord jacket onto the onto this spare rail, and anyone who needs one can just simply just pick it up. Uh, yeah. No questions okay. asked. Is that is that is that the simplicity of it? Yeah. The, the simplicity of it is, is it's just no judgment. If you if somebody else can donate it and leave it on the rail, mm-hmm. you're more than more than entitled to come take it, especially with the weather being the way it is, yeah. uh, time is being the way it is, economically, mm-hmm. uh, socially, um, mm-hmm. it brings people together. And it's if you if you don't have something, there yeah. is there's no judgment, no shame in coming just to grab some stuff. Yeah, um, it's not just for those who are homeless. Like mm-hmm. like you like you touched upon yourself, it, the times are tough with COVID, jobs being lost, etc. Um, yeah, we've got more than enough to supply anyone with brand new clothing we've been mm-hmm. getting donations that are still in the packet still vacuum sealed still got tags on yeah. that are getting delivered via asos to us yeah. or via boohoo we get, we're getting brand new clothing and in the following clip from this next interview i interview our new show therapist amia mirza who's been a wonderful addition and in this part we play a bit about ethnic minority mental health and what more can be done about it. I believe this is from episode 43. So do you think there is more credence to that side of the study as opposed to, you know, suggestions that it's it's some, somehow maybe genetic 
because um, this was a kind of a tussle at the beginning of lockdown, wasn't it, as to why the death the death rate or the illness rate, the infection rate is high amongst our community. Do you think? Do you think it's more socioeconomic than it is sort of, you know, health backgrounds or maybe, um, you know, something it's, within it's us? Actually, it's actually all of it, Ricky. I mean, you know, there's some now, you know, genetic uh, uh, conditions which which have gone through because of diet, you know, high fat, mm-hmm. high, uh, you know, sugars and everything else. They're, they're based mm-hmm. on that. But diabetes is a great example. Mm-hmm. So they were linking it to that to say, you know, because of diabetes, it causes this, this and this, mm-hmm. uh, and you're at higher risk. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I would suggest it's probably worth exploring more to the fact of lifestyle. Yeah. And, you know, um, if we... We're living in closer, you know, we're, we're faced with poverty, community are faced by poverty. So, you know, socioeconomically, you know, they're, they're behind everybody else. Mm-hmm. You have cultural issues mm-hmm. and they're close knit. Mm-hmm. So they don't really want to go out. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, the, the type of food you eat is probably just home cooked a lot of the time mm-hmm. where it's there for convenience. And I mean, you know, also what we used to think was, what, what people eat, wealthy people's just as cheap food is that I enjoy it so much anyway, like vegetarian food. Yeah. But then that comes with its own implications, doesn't it, with ghee and everything else. Yeah. So it's re-educating because, you know, who doesn't enjoy their mums? You know, I used to love my mum's cooking when she was alive. It was never made if it was unhealthy or not. Mm-hmm. But there's that attachment with it. Yeah. Um, I think it was too easy to, to turn around and say that being community was, were this way because of diabetes and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that's, I, to me, I think that's a cop-out. Yeah. You have to look at the psychosocial structure of everything. Sure, sure. pushing it out there. Yeah. You know, uh, I, you know, I was smiling when you said, because um, I, I grew up in a sort of a, a vegetarian family, as, as it were. You know, yeah. my, my family weren't meat eaters, but, um, yeah. but then we would often puzzle. I know my, 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 my late father would, would often scratch his head as to say, well, you know why? Why? Why am I overweight? Why do I have diabetes? You know, I thought veggie food was was the in thing. It was the yeah. healthiest. But when you think about it, it's not. It's not just about the 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 substance. It's about the way of cooking, the way the ways and means of how it's all prepared and all that. They could still make it very. Um, so you brought back a, a memory there, which is what, which is why I smiled. But um, as regards to lifestyle, Amir, how do you think that then transcends to uh, the mental health of our communities? Do you think? Uh, are we also suffered disproportionately from this through the, the whole lockdown thing? Uh, I, the, yes, we have. Uh, but as I said, you have to look at a number of factors here. Mm. You know, a lot of the guys from the uh, Asian communities are taxi drivers. Mm. And that's really impacted on them. I know a lot of guys, no work, nothing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they're actually, you know, they're delivering food for restaurants and things just to make ends meet. Mm-hmm. And there was no help or support there because mm-hmm. we were all self-employed, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. And restaurants closed. We have a lot of Asian yeah, chefs, which are, you know. Yeah. Yeah. There was a massive, it was a massive ripple mm-hmm. effect through mm-hmm. the whole community. Yeah. And, you know, when you get communities and they're exposed to their vulnerabilities, yeah. you know, I would suggest that it's instinctive to shut down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We don't want to show people that we're suffering because we, you know, how bad we're doing or how, how this is, is. And this is a cultural thing, isn't it? Where we go back to and it goes to, we don't talk enough. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, 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 we put the community, 
before the individual when it's those individuals that make the community. So yeah. if it's not working as a collective, yeah. then it's not going to work. Or yeah. let's use the better word: if it's not working in agreement, then you must be wrong. Mm. It's like you know our our you know when our our uh, parents grandparents first came here, the first ethic was to grind down and work because it's the only means yeah. of survival. You know they had to work from survival, and that's kind of yeah. gone on through generations where you know yeah. other other things to do with. Um, our, you know, our so our lives, our social lives, things like talking about our health, not just mental yeah. health, physical health as well, was yeah. was seen as taboo. And you're quite right; we would never talk about it. I mean, my my father, bless him, um, um, he would never talk about. Um, and you know, I I've said this on the show a few times. I, I sadly saw my father, you know, um, through the stresses of, you know, the recession of the eighties, where he felt his, as you mentioned, you know, as we've seen, the livelihoods are being lost. And when he when he felt that things were slipping through his fingers back then, he would he would self harm. So with that in mind, um, how do you think something like resilience will will um, carry our community through? I mean, do you see where I'm coming? I do. Yeah. Uh, there's a, there's a couple of parts to this, Ricky. Uh, the first part is is resilience really uh, relative to communities because. In, in, in a word, at times it is, you know, there's problems, community still goes on and on. Yeah. But the resilience is, is, can we really say that's resilience? Are mm. they bouncing back from adversity or are they just burying the adversity and getting on with it? Yeah. So, you know, that that's the first instance. Mm. Uh, the second part of this is that it, we can only develop the health of our next generation if we show children, yeah. the younger members, that it's okay Absolutely. to talk as the, 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 the theme goes. You know, look, Absolutely. look, you're okay to go and talk to them mm. rather than close the shutters and say nothing to say here. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah. you know, this is, this is the massive step. This mm. isn't resilience. This is education. Mm -hmm. This is actually showing them the mm. benefit of, you know, uh, good mental health, mm. well-being. Uh, in in a community context, like mm. look, you can benefit from it rather than just bury it or put it behind. Absolutely, I wonder as as a previous point we made. And in the following clip from episode forty six, I speak to Michael Cunliffe from North Tyneside Art Studio, and he talks a little bit about what people get from drawing and painting, particularly the well being benefits when they visit his art studio and under his supervision. The art form or the thing that works for them yeah and some people come to us and they fall in love with painting and mm -hmm. they want to do landscape painting and that's the thing that kind of clicks for them yeah and really helps them to explore who they are and, and support their mental health other people may come in try every art from under the sun you know mm -hmm. stone sculpting um as i say wood carving glass work whatever it might be and come to the conclusion that actually what they like doing is knitting. Mm -hmm. And that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and it's it's where, in some ways, we, in art for mental health, become very different from the wider art world. Yeah. Because that hierarchy of proper art forms or craft is, is a lot less um, distinct in what we do. Mm -hmm. because I often say to people, it doesn't actually matter what you create. 
Sure. If you sit down and you paint for two hours and you hate what you finished up with, yeah. if you enjoyed those two hours and those two hours were good for you, that's what matters. Sure. Because I've always used art to support my mental health. Yeah. Um, I wasn't necessarily explicitly aware of it, mm. but I always knew that if I was starting to feel anxious or, or grumpy or things didn't feel right, mm. it's probably because I hadn't been in, been in my studio recently mm. enough. I hadn't done enough painting. Yeah. So I started to look at what the people we worked with were experiencing. Mm. Um, and it started to uncover some interesting, interesting ideas. Yeah. It was helping people to kind of keep going and it gave them a reason to, to get up and, and come to the studio and meet people. And that was fantastic. But their work wasn't kind of developing. They didn't know what their next step was. Yeah. So we came to the realization that actually with art for mental health, you kind of get this immediate hit where you're socially isolated and you know, you're disempowered because your life consists largely of waiting for people to send you to your next appointment. Yeah. You know, yeah. you might get to choose which Tuesday you go and see your, um, your therapist, but you don't. Mm-hmm. have a lot of control over that mm-hmm. come to the art studio and it's it's all in your hands you know you decide when you want to come along you decide which art form you want to try you decide what you're going to make you know it's really important that we don't tell people what they make yeah i mean uh, this is going to be my my next question is it going to be is it a sort of a thing where the emphasis is not necessarily about the end product as long as they, they they're there and they turn up and they get some sort of um, not just from yourself, but amongst other people who turn up, you know, there's a level of maybe peer support that's that's there as well, that's present, which helps them go along and, and help the process on. I mean, yeah, if they end up producing something fantastic at the end, it, it's all maybe like a bonus. Absolutely, yeah. So um, the, the, the other kind of effects and the reason we were able to, I was able to kind of look at these kind of different levels of development mm. people had is that we had members who've been with us for for years for decades in some cases um we were set up as i say in the 90s and it was kind of the the height of that care in the community Mm. awful sun headlines about how these these people with mental health issues are going to be living next door to you and you should be afraid so i think those headlines still exist nowadays unfortunately yeah let's see Unfortunately, so yeah, but um, it's it's amazing. We we did some kind of um, heritage projects um, to, yeah. to look at our history, and when you see some of those headlines, it's it's really disturbing. Mm. So we kind of existed this safe space for people who were in um, Ray Lane's. Inpatient unit, you sure. know, yeah. they, they, they'd come out during the day, mm-hmm. and it was kind of this halfway house to ease them back into the community. So yeah. we had this protective kind of feeling mm-hmm. in this community that was really close. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, it, it grew over the years. When we started, I think there was room for eight people. Yeah. Last year, well, before the the pandemic, I think we worked with nearly two hundred people over the course of the year. Yeah. Um, but you had these these members who had huge amounts of skill, huge amount of experience, and they're able to support new members. Mm. So you, you see it's someone 
it's people who may not have a lot of confidence in themselves mm. yeah. will come in and someone new will be there mm. and they'll be you know making a pop and it's it's drifting off to one side and <laughs> one of the i don't want to say older members of the, the community but you know someone with more experience will be able to say hey you know just tilt it over to one side you know just just turn it round and keep working that way and it will write itself yeah and watching that happen is extraordinary mm. because there are people who really lack the self-confidence in their own abilities but mm. through the art they're able to give support to people they're mm. able to make valuable contributions and the art as a focus allows people to speak about things that they never normally would excellent we excellent. ran some yeah we ran some pilot schemes with um Macmillan with a bereavement group wow okay and one of the things that really stood out for me was that uh, was a, a woman who lost lost her husband and she said i can't talk about it if i'm looking at anyone yeah if i'm if i'm looking down at the painting I can have whole conversations with people. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it, it it provides this almost external focus that that allows people to to make social bonds with yeah. less of the anxiety that that comes with, I guess, trying to build a friendship. In this clip from episode fifty five, I had the pleasure of speaking to the former director of the campaign Time to Change, a very important campaign, probably the best renowned mental health campaign. And in it, Joe Lochran talks about particularly the aspect of uh, young mental health and what implementations they put into schools to help young people and their mental health. Yeah, so, so as with all of our audiences, actually, you know, we consider young people to be a particular audience. We, mm. we really began by talking to young people who had experienced mental illness yeah. and asking them where they experienced most stigma and discrimination. Mm -hmm. And um, once we knew that, we were able to then talk to young people um, and uh, understand uh, why, what were the barriers to uh, young people talking about mental health more generally. and treating others with respect and of course once you start doing that because everything that we do we try to co-produce with lived experience um, and of course once you once you start to talk to people and you understand where people who might be stigmatizing are and why mm. and you understand what the impact of that stigma discrimination is on somebody who's experiencing mental health problems mm. you start to see a roadmap of where you need to um, intervene and what you might need to say and do mm. that might help to change somebody's attitude and somebody's behaviour. So we did exactly the same with young people. We spent the first six months meeting with young people, doing focus groups, doing mm. some desk research, um, and that helped us to understand how we might need to go about um, yeah. delivering this programme. Mm. And as with all of our other programmes, you know, we had um, champions at the heart of it, because we know how powerful peer-to-peer -peer education is. Yeah. Um, we worked with um, schools to enable teachers to support those young champions mm -hmm. um, within schools to deliver um, the changes. And then we created um, uh, materials that were useful for schools mm. and, again, co-produced those with teachers mm. so that we could have a whole raft of 
assemblies of um, session outlines and mm -hmm. again all of that stuff is still downloadable on the website so if you are a school and you're thinking how do I go about doing this mm. then pop onto the website and you'll get some materials there. Mm. Um, how receptive were, were the schools? I mean <clears throat> you said you did focus groups so you, you went and talked to them um, did the teachers themselves have to have to go through a, maybe another element of training to enable to encourage their uh, pupils to speak out because um, I imagine you know people uh, you know training in through through previous generations might not have had that in their toolkit so is it a re revelation not just for the pupils for the teachers themselves um I, I guess it was a whole sort of collective effort as as sim similar example in the workplace with with staff and bosses I imagine yeah I mean we so we we I was actually quite surprised about how um, receptive schools were to this. We, you know, yeah. we we definitely didn't have to work too hard to to talk to teachers. Often, what would happen is you'd go in and you'd talk to a particular member of staff who had decided that this was mm. something that they should do, either because of their personal experience or because they understood the value of mental health in young people in terms of good mental health equaling. Um, the you know best chance in life really yeah. um and what was also quite um surprising was how uh much benefit um staff had because we we talk with staff mostly so as we could get to young people but of course what happened was that 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 in many of the schools that we went in to work with mm -hmm. they took a workplace um, uh, perspective on it as well as trying to work with children and people yeah. and so again the workplace stuff that we did in other organizations was was really as relevant there too mm. and we, you're right so we had to go in and, and give teachers confidence to address this topic because yeah. many were worried that they needed to be a specialist or that they would make matters worse or that somehow mm. they would create um, mental health problems in their pupils simply by talking about it. Sure. So we worked really hard to create trainer trainer packs, um, and we went into schools and worked alongside teachers to kind mm. of deliver some of these programs, so they feel confident um, about about delivering it once we mm. weren't there. Yeah. We tried to make it as simple as possible, <clears throat> so we would create something that said, "Okay, um, say this, show this film." And then here's some discussion that you can have with your class that will take, you know, 20 minutes, which will cover your 50 minute um, um, class. And once yeah. staff got really confident about delivering this, they then went off and did their own research and, and, and were able to build on what we provided um, um, to them. Mm -hmm. um, so they were really enthusiastic about taking it on board. And that, for me, is really important because the children and young people bit, the change that we look to make around stigma and discrimination we always talk about it as being a change in a generation. So if we can get to young people now, we're getting them thinking differently, so their attitudes are more tolerant, but mm -hmm. also they're going to be the young people who grow up, go into yeah, employer, employment, mm. and totally demand that mentally healthy workplaces exist. <laughs> so there's a whole raft of things um, yeah. that, that come from working with children and young people. Yeah, absolutely. Um I was wondering on the back of that, how how influential do you think Time to Change has been to, because I, I read almost every, on a daily basis about how, you know, things like mindfulness is practiced in schools, that that um, more and more schools are employing, you know, counsellors so they can they can talk to um, 
children, pupils, teenagers privately about any struggles they might have? Were those the sorts of things that you were encouraging as well to help create that sort of shift? Yeah, you're absolutely right. So we went in with a very clear remit around stigma and discrimination. But mm. what we did was we created um, networks of head teacher um, uh, programs so that they could come together mm. and share best practice and things that they'd done in schools that had worked. But we didn't want to restrict that just to thinking about stigma and discrimination. We wanted them to think about the whole mental health landscape, which, as you say, includes things like, you know, counselling in schools or, you know, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. But that we would give them the tools to think it through and then they would go off and find out themselves. And we would continue to deliver the very mm-hmm. specific um, piece of work around stigma and discrimination. So, yes, I think... You know, we, we we help to raise the profile and we help to give staff confidence. And then it's amazing what schools then go on to do mm-hmm. um, simply because they've just had that piece of, of, of input and, and feel confident about the topic area. Yeah. And uh, last question regarding young people, going back to what I mentioned earlier. So so how vital were, were the sort of the various uh, marketing ideas regarding sort of, um, you know, say something like social media, using Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all them to, to, to sort of push the message through. Um, I imagine for time to change, that was sort of a, um, well, it was a no-brainer, wasn't it, that you could use these tools to, because you're you're getting direct access to, to you know, the, the, the minds of, of young people and, and get to know about, you know, how they're thinking, how they go about things. Yeah. So again, you know, really a bit like with all of the audiences, we mm. we we needed to understand where they were in their thought process around um, stigma yeah. and discrimination, and in fact, mental health and mental illness. But we also needed to know where we we could reach them. Mm. So, um, for example, with our male audience, um, yeah. uh, the the best way we could reach them was through radio adverts, for example, because they often have radio adverts playing in the background. That was perfect. So we knew we could reach them through there. Okay. And the same for young people. So we would look to, well, where are young people at currently? Where are they? Where are they consuming, mm. um, uh, you know, leisure? Um, and and yes, of course, through social, um, you know, that was that was really important. Also, really important because young people could then share content, yeah, create their yeah. own content and share content so that became really really important mm. um, but as with every audience that we look at we think about both where they are in terms of their journey um, mm. from not knowing about mental health to being a champion for it mm. but also how we can reach them yeah. and then the third thing that we always look at is with what messaging mm. so what is it that that they need to know that would influence their likelihood to think differently about mental health and mental illness Absolutely, yeah, because, you know... Through... In the following clip from episode 54, I speak to Fitz and Billy from Joe's Giants, a climbing group that uh, encourages peer support where anyone can join. And here they talk about how symbolic it is that metaphors like climbing, mountaineering can help people's well-being. 
it's also a way I find of um, of uh, pushing your boundaries, um, yeah. being out in the fells because um, mm-hmm. ascending ascending mountains, um, some of them are not as easy as others, and uh, you see this in everyday life with problems as well. Yeah. When we deal with stuff, some things are easier to get through, whereas some things are harder to get through. Sure. So we we use the mountains in a retrospective of mm. a problem, and we teach people that if they can get to the peak of the mountain, they can yeah. get to the peak of a problem. Yeah. Um, and we show people that when they want to stop and when they want to give up you, you give them that 20 second 30 second rest one minute rest and then yeah. off they go again they've got a breath of fresh air and they're ready to go and then mm. as soon as they've hit the summit and the peak and and the, you turn around and look back how far you've come and go oh we, we were down there half yeah. an hour ago and yeah. look how far we've come and it really it really makes you um, appreciate uh, how many steps it takes you to to get mm. over yeah. Uh, certain issues yeah. as, as as the same as the same with a mountain and uh, being tired and always carrying on sure um and obviously we motivate people we motivate each other um it's it's something that's really really special to me definitely i'm glad you mentioned that word motivation because i'm wondering i'm quite curious as to um when, when you guys are together um and you're climbing and, and the motivation help one another you know uh, getting up there is that is that in a way a kind of a peer support as well? Uh, would you say because of course, particularly men's mental health, we know how how important it is to talk and open up and 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 you know reach out to 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 one another. But that sort of team effort uh, ethos does that become a peer support in itself? Would you say? I'd uh, I'd hundred percent say so. Yeah, yeah. Um, it teaches you that if you surround yourself with the right people, you can you can you can get through what you need to get through. Yeah. Um, we also, as I say, we know we know that men should talk and we know that we should speak. Um, mm. but we also follow in we follow the underlying factor that um, if you don't want to speak, you don't have to. We would never ever force anyone to come out their comfort zone to speak. Sure. So, and then what 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 you really find with this is mm. when you when you um, when you play this theory out um, and people come to see you and they start climbing with you, you get to know them. Yeah. Over time, they just they just generally just normally just open up and yeah. speak normally because because it's it's you, you create more of a friendship than mm. uh, than uh, like a client basis. It's yeah. not as if someone's going to therapy and being anxious about yeah. about what they've got to say about what they need to speak about yeah. because we just go out and we set an achievement and we get the job done. Over mm. time, people always generally open up, and it is it is it's amazing to see, especially in the flesh, especially when when you see them shine. And uh, honestly, it's something it's something that I can't I can't even begin to explain properly. Really, um, oh, thank you. I think yeah. you've explained it really well. Um, Billy, would you would you add on to that? And I would say, I would also want to put on the end of that. Would you say that have you noticed um, other other sort of people um, kind of open up in themselves being with you guys, where you might have noticed some some level of maybe timidness before this start, but as as the as you as you guys ascend together, you see them become, I guess they're on the open up a bit more. Yeah, one hundred percent. They walk sort of sign, so we're not really forcing anyone to open up. We want it to yeah. over time. Mm-hmm. I think that's important. Mm-hmm. Um, but 100%, yeah, I've seen a lot of people open up a bit more over time. And it's great to see people's confidence boost and see what the mountains actually do for them. Yeah. And I'd yeah. also say, you know, because I've chatted to people, for example, who, um, you know, when it comes to something like counselling, um, instead of like yeah. it, the whole kind of clinical environment of being in a chair and, and a therapist sort of sitting on the clipboard, that people actually meet, become more... Um, inspired to open up and talk about their feelings when they're surrounded by nature and and sort of you know peers that they feel, feel that they're very comfortable with so i think what you guys are doing is is really unique um 
Fitz, tell me more about. I mean, is it? Are we talking about? Um, is it an actual charity, or is it just a, a sort of a, an organization itself? Um, what are the? What's the ethos, and I guess what what are the long term goals for Joe's Giants? So um, yes, it is a fully registered non profit organization. Um, currently, we're not funded. We're not sponsored. Um, yeah. For the first six months, I run it out of my own pocket, and then. Um, this is a bit long-winded, but um, when when Joe passed, his his mother set up a GoFundMe because we wanted to make a memorial in Southport. We spent a lot right. of time around the skate park and being outdoors, and we wanted to build something for him. Mm-hmm. The council denied us, and then three years down the line, when I set this up, uh, that money actually got put into the fund because okay. because Joe's mum actually kept hold of it because she knew that it it, it would be it would be perfect for something and. Mm. Without even conferring, and I set this up, you know, everything everything just happened for a reason. Um, obviously, before Joe passed, he actually, he was speaking to his mum about setting something like this up for right. adults, not for yeah. children. He, he wanted to work with, with over-18s because he knew mm. he knew the struggle. I wouldn't say it's greater, but um, I think past the age of 18, the struggle becomes, I'd say, I'd say harder than, than, yeah. than when you're younger because you have sure. a lot of financial issues, you have... Uh, the brain progresses and the overthinking levels and the anxiety it, it's if the brain constantly grows so do so do these um the neurons and whatnot that, that, that yeah. control mental health they obviously grow with the brain sure. um i forgot what your question was now I've, I've no no just just now. like what the what the long-term goals goals is but i also wonder as well i was i was going to ask at the end of that is part of it as well now that you've kind of you know to use a metaphor lit this rocket you kind of you can allow it to fly and see where it goes and just sort of, you know, um, um, go along with the flow kind of thing and, and see see what, what reaction you get from, from people and so on. Yeah, completely. Um, I believe the reaction comes from where we have clients and they and they and they come back and they and they truly enjoy the company as well mm-hmm. as i say me and me and billy we're not um we're not we're not gps we're not consultants yeah. you know we're just we're just two normal people who just mm-hmm. enjoy talking we enjoy walking and we enjoy helping people glow yeah. up um and i think that's where we find the difference in stuff like you know cognitive behavior therapy yeah. and um i'm referring to gps we're just we're just everyday normal people mm-hmm. um and with the other question of where it wants to go um we've got we've got a lot of long-term goals but i really would love to have something like a retreat in the lake district mm. so say if we had someone struggling with mental health issues mm. and um say it was like drink related alcohol or drug substance yeah, yeah. abuse yeah. Uh, we can take them away to the retreat completely free of charge mm-hmm. uh, they can stay at the retreat we can take them up a mountain close by um and they're sort of the sort of locked off from the fact that um of drugs and whatnot as soon as they're in as soon as they're there they're there you know oh. and across like a week or across a weekend we can teach them that they don't actually need that substance in their life mm. to actually enjoy everything that they're doing yeah so that is that is one of the big long-term goals for me definitely awesome in the following clip from episode 53 i speak to Mwenza and kate from the mutual aid group of uh, newcastle's west end particularly the authors hill and elzik area and they talk about their phone box campaign where they leave food for people and the vulnerable who need it without stigma and without questions asked. Yeah, yeah, no gatekeeping. Um, uh, and we're, you know, we, we just got permission for the space, but it wasn't the idea that, you know, the organization provides and then other people take, but that 
we're all members of a group we can all use put food in or take food out and then people who aren't even who aren't members of the group but just who are here or passing by can do yeah. the same mm-hmm. so something that's really open and yeah and and gets away from stigma but also gets away from again this idea that there are two groups givers and takers because you know what what when you create this space what you find is that you know there are people who are in receipt of a food parcel from another source mm-hmm. or who've been given you know who come by food in some other kind of way mm-hmm. um who are also themselves like in you know uh not in a great position, but that they can use it to, to can make a contribution to other people that, sure. you know, um, and particularly, you know, um, sometimes when you get given things by an organized system, you might be given things that you don't want. Mm. Um, so you might, be, you might be given things that you can't eat for religious reasons or for allergy reasons or because yeah. you don't like it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, it's interesting as well. I mean, as, um, as I guess more and more people become sort of, uh, um, you know, equipped with with mobile phones and stuff. You know, the question about what phone, what what role can phone boxes do in the future? But what you guys have done, I think, is really really cool in, in that regard. Um, um, I've got one more question regarding lockdown, but I think we'll we'll quickly get on to. I think we'll let's let's do this issue about the the closure of the phone boxes. So, um, um, am I right in saying it's the one situated in the middle of Arthur's Hill? um that that's under under threat of being sort of taken away um how did you guys sort of found out about this and and what have you guys done in in terms of campaigning to keep it there um so i think we found out about it there was just a notice stuck in in the phone box it was just like this phone box is due to be decommissioned yeah um and we knew because um a similar sort of you know, phone box had been set up and used for the same purpose as a community larder in Hartlepool and also in Annick. Right. Um, and those phone boxes had also had the same, you know, decommissioning mm. um, poster put up in their phone box. So we kind of put two and two together and, and kind of thought, and also given that there were broken phone boxes nearby which weren't being removed or decommissioned. Mm-hmm. So that really felt like a kind of targeted kind of closure or removal. Yeah. And um, I mean, yeah, given how well used they are as well, um, like almost every time you kind of go past or people put food in, there's almost, you'll then come across somebody who's then going to come and say oh you know what are you putting in there and, mm-hmm. and have those conversations and things like that um but yeah it just that didn't seem right and um so uh we put together a petition mm-hmm. um that was kind of to bt to say please don't shut down these phone boxes because one they're really needed um, as community larders and also to um, don't just assume that people no longer need um, phone boxes anymore because, um, yeah, we've come across people who don't always have access to a mobile phone, but they yeah. might have change in their pocket. Sure. Um, so there are still people who, who use the phone boxes. Um, so, yeah, we started the petition. We've been emailing back and forth with BT um they do seem really supportive actually okay to try and work out a way that we can you spoke to them didn't you Menza? work out a way that we can um yeah carry on using the the phone boxes which is really good and that came i think after after the petition and after some 
contact from um, Chion Wura, the MP. Mm-hmm. So, do you want to do you want to talk about that, Windsor? Yeah. So they've created a scheme, you know, which we're not a hundred percent sure of, kind of the um, the community benefit of it, but they'll create a scheme where they kind of decommission phone boxes and allow them to be adopted. Mm-hmm. And I guess, um, you know, they kind of, you, you, for that, you need a charity or a council to adopt it. But I guess, um, you know, for us, that's certainly not plan A, because the people do use the phone box in this neighborhood, you know, um, they use them as, as telephones. So we, you know, ideally, it's not going to, they aren't going to be decommissioned. And, you know, there are, as, as Katie says, phone boxes that they don't seem to intend to fix the phone, but they're also not decommissioning them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it'd be great if these ones were both used by the community as phones and as places to get books, clothes, shoes, and food, you know, because people put in whatever they feel that they don't necessarily need, and, and lots of books have moved through them, and, you know, plants even. But, I mean, yeah, I can I can really see that, but it sounds that with what Katie was saying as well regarding that, in terms of receptiveness from from BT and sorts, that, they, that there's still room, hope, hopefully, some sort of compromise in the future. So um, fingers crossed for that, and we'll happily share the petition on our social media sites as well. So um, fingers crossed for that one. With this current phase that we're in, you know, lockdown easing, I just wonder from your your guys' point of view in terms of um, um, you know people wanting to get things back to normal and so on and so on. Do, um, are you guys sort of seeing things from slightly differently in that you, you might worry that um, the sort of vulnerable people that you attend to might be seen as forgotten somehow, that they might be left behind? Or is it is it happening at a pace that might be too quickly for them? Do you see where I'm coming from? I'm just, I was just curious as to um, if that might be the case. Um, you know, I worry that um, when things are not perceived as a, like an emergency, um, then maybe we don't get some of the protections that we get during an emergency. Yeah. And I think, you know, the way that we've, the way that some things are rolling out in, in other countries where they haven't taken the measures to protect the, the public, um, that has meant that the public <laughs> has really suffered. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we've also, you know, by in trying to pretend that maybe we can behave a bit more normally, it's easy to miss uh, people who were started off in a bad position and are now in a worse position because of potentially job losses yeah. um, and all kinds of disruption, you know, that mm. that we, we were, especially in this region where we were already suffering enormously as, as was it, um, you know, it's been pointed out globally that this region has suffered a lot in the last 11 years. You know, austerity has hit it yeah. very hard and that's, all different kinds of people that's not just children in schools you know we've had some attention of of food poverty for children in schools but Mm. i mean and that's a a group that i care about a lot but it's it's yeah i I guess that's the 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 reason i tapped into that question because i think you know through as we come out um albeit cautiously um that the problems um before and during the pandemic for a lot of people will still exist and whether your your kind of work will still be needed for for the time being foreseeable future we're and we're gonna keep going and that's the thing and i you know really asking what the crisis is it seems like a stupid question but what is this crisis right Mm. and there are places not even very far away where they the crisis for them really ultimately was the fact that the pandemic caused some people to be told to stay home for 12 weeks Mm. that was the only crisis they perceived in the situation and Mm. the crisis was only because there weren't enough delivery slots for groceries yeah 
right? And if you perceive that as being the crisis, that, Mm -hmm. you know, it's lonely and I can't get groceries delivered for which I have the money, Mm -hmm. then of course that's, that crisis is over. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then maybe there's like a little bit of rumbling on of people who are currently self-isolating, what mm-hmm. support that they need in that very particular situation. But I think to us, the crisis is something else. Sure. We're here to stay, I think. And in our last clip, it's a song from the brilliant musician Steve Pledger, who joined us for our 40th episode, where the whole hour, he not only gave us a great interview, but um, he played some numbers live for us. So here's a song from that episode, and it's called Reseda. I'll say a little bit about this afterwards, yeah, if you please. like. This is called Reseda. Inside of late, I've put off jobs and put on weight. Well, you know how easily I do. TV says I'm not alone. Netflix and a mobile phone are cold comfort substitutes for you. Well, I keep the house and take a stroll. Exercise self-control. I don't touch the beers till after five. That's when the latest news comes through of what we must and must do just to stay alive. Half past ten and off I head, take myself off to bed. There's nothing to stay up for Eventually I'm off to sleep until loud that I leave when I hear you coming through the door Oh I rush downstairs and there you stand the front door keys to your hand I'll take your coat and I'll hang it in the hall You ask me how my day's been To take your mind off things you've seen And I ask you the same when I see the first tear fall Too soon you'll be back on the ward by noon Just how the hell you do it, I don't know Cause I see the toll it takes on you With everything that you go through My proud place each day to watch you go You shut the gate, close the door And I'm home once more, I'm safe and sound Wishing you were too Until the early hours when you 
be back home again I'll think a little else but you And again you'll ask about my day And we'll pass a little time away As the light outside begins to show Tell me then what it's been made What it's been like since you were here Sixteen hours Eighteen souls ago Awesome. God, thanks, Matt. <laughs> Do you know Do what it I, is? You, I, I, you, are, you very... So that wraps up our special 60th episode of Mentally Sound Life in Lockdown podcast series. Hope you enjoyed the special compilation I compiled for you. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to everyone who supported us in our journey thus far. Thanks to all the great guests that we've had since this all began of March, April last year. And yes, here's to another 60, who knows. But in the meantime... Join us again next week for some more. And uh, yeah, if you listen to us on Spice FM, stay tuned for the next show. But in the meantime, stay safe, look after yourself, but more importantly, take care of your mental health. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Goodbye.